Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Let me begin the program by asking you three questions. One, did you sleep well last night with your mind completely at rest? And if you had a dream, was it a positive, restful one? Two, did you wake this morning feeling refreshed with your mind eager to face the challenges of the new day? And three, throughout the day up to now, has your mind remained peaceful, positive, and focused on the tasks and activities that you set out to accomplish? And if you answered no to one or more of these questions, welcome to the club. These right. days, uh, right. calming the mind uh, uh, either during the day or overnight is becoming increasingly hard. And let's face it, in today's cyber era, there is far more information available, often in disjointed bits and pieces, than oh, yeah. it's possible to assimilate and use effectively to solve a problem or complete an assignment. So how about you? Would you like, whenever you desire, to be able to detach yourself from the digital onslaught, regain control, and organize your own thoughts? And uh, what if someone told you that simple steps can help you detach from today's digital onslaught to regain capacity and control and organize your thoughts? And that's precisely what today's guest, education reformer and consciousness expert, Lynn Lesh, is here to describe. In fact, he's just released a new book on the subject, and here's Lynn Lesh's background. He founded and directed his own democratically run school for children 6 to 14 for 12 years, a school that received widespread praise and attention. He subsequently has written four books on education reform, emphasizing the importance of what occurs inside a young person's brain while he or she learns. And he just released a new book we'll talk about today, Intelligence in the Digital World, How the Search for Something Larger May Be Imperiled. Hello, Lynn Lesh. We are in hey, Ron, how are you? with us. Let me ask you uh, to begin. Uh, what is, uh, begin with the uh, phenomenon of digital overload. Isn't uh, the phenomenal flow of instantaneous information at our fingertips through the Internet search engines useful in helping us solve any problem that may arise? <laughs> yes, but there's another side to that. There's so much information coming at people so quickly that eventually it reaches the point with our short-term memories we just can't take anything more. And although our long-term memories tend to have a limitless capacity, our short-term memories don't. So it's like water being poured into a glass. It'll reach a point where it'll spill over, and we can't retain the, the amount of information that's coming at us so quickly in our short-term memories. Consequently, they, they can't pass it on to our long-term memories, where our long-term memory can ferret it out and decide what's important, what's not so important, which is, the, which is how we pay attention. We, you know, we decide which is relevant to our lives and which isn't. And that is being affected by just the huge amount of people that is, is flooding people's short-term memories. 
and you know, in addition to that, like it, we're we're actually outsourcing our memories to Google in a very <laughs> definite way. Google is becoming the new brain's hard drive. So you know, I know we, go we, were, right, uh, we always consult Doctor Google with our uh, medical problems. I didn't realize we were turning over our brain to <laughs> Google as well. Well, you know, you think about it before. If you wanted to fish something out of your memory before the advent of the internet, you'd go back in your in your the networks of your brain and try to to come back to where it originated, but now we just go boom to Google. So I think a lot of those networks are beginning to dry up because we just don't use them anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, is that and, uh, uh, change pardon? permanent or can it be reversed? Hopefully? I don't know. I, th I think, well, I think if people start using their working memories to try to fish stuff out they can't remember rather than just go immediately Google, that can definitely have an effect. Yeah. Just like just like following, sitting quietly and following your thoughts to a point of completion can help alleviate the sort of jumpy, distracted, you know, fragmented um, attention that's going on in so many of us. Yeah, so it gives you a feeling of accomplishment if you figure something out on your own rather than just uh, grabbing something off uh, the Google search engine as oh, a yeah. solution. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, too, when you go back and, and try to fish something out of your memory, you really can see how your thoughts and your memories integrate with each other. It's an interesting sort of interesting sort of journey how our thoughts create our memories, and our memories always change. And, and we, don't, we don't have access to any of that anymore because it's just, boom, we go right to Google. <laughs> Google provides us with the information. And, and I really think over time, there's no question, people's neuronal networks and their brains are going to start to calcify because they're just not being used. What happens when we uh, when we are, uh, exist without a long-term memory, like you're threatening that uh, might happen to us? Long-term memory, well, two things. It helps us to conceptualize our world. And it also is what allows us to decide what to pay attention to. This is relevant. This is not so relevant. So long-term memory is very much a part of our attention. And we begin to lose part of our long-term memory because our short-term memories can't pass all the information it's flooded with onto it. We may not be so attentive to our world because we can't decide what's, what do we want to pay attention to and what we don't. But our long-term memories are basically what we use to conceptualize our yeah, world. We, I also emotion. think we tend to lose a true sense of who we are if we don't have oh, absolutely. long-term memory. Absolutely. That's, that's a real important point. We won't have the same, uh, yeah, exactly, sense of what we're doing, who we are. And an, another thing I've been concerned about is this, this issue of people staring into a, a plastic screen all day looking at a, a virtual image where that image doesn't have the same effect on their emotive lives or sensorial lives as a real-world experience. So people are kind of existing at a shallower level when they're, they're just looking at the, at the virtual images on the screen. Yeah, rather I don't than think uh, texting is a substitute for actual communication, even if, if it's just by phone, uh, and that's not too great either. <laughs> no. We, nowadays we can't speak in person very much temporarily, but, uh, you know, we need that personal interaction that we just don't get with the texting. No, and there's another thing about texting that people have found out, that 
because people are so aware that they may get a text message at any time during the day, (laughs) half of their mind is kind of still attending to their phone. In fact, people have done some studies of teaching great literature in college, et cetera, finding that in this Internet age where so many young people are worried about missing out, on something, they have, they're kind of attentive to their phone half the time they're reading Dostoevsky or Shakespeare, and so they're not able to assimilate those quite as well as they used to. Yeah, because, my son always multitasks. <laughs> yeah. He'll be watching something on, on the uh, internet while he's playing a video game, and I don't know how he does it, but I don't think it's very effective to uh, try to do more than one thing at once. Now, the studies they've done with that, with multitasking, they said you can maybe retain some of the same information, but a number of studies have shown that people who multitask can't really use that same information in other contexts. They can't transfer what they've learned in this context as well to another context, which is basically what creative thinking is very much all about. Yeah, if you only have information that's specific to one specific situation and really doesn't help you in any other situation it's not really that helpful is it (laughs) no 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 so it's that the multitasking has its you know has its negative effects too but you know it's just i'm just concerned about you know that how people are just becoming so dependent on their phones when they run into something, some thought or or emotion within themselves that they're having a hard time dealing with. I know I'll sit in getting my car repaired or whatever, and there'll be people sitting there in the waiting room, and you can see it on their faces. As soon as some thought comes to mind, they really don't want to deal with, whoops, they go to the phone. So the phone is becoming this this virtual pacifier that's that's allowing people to avoid things that they really need to, to face to make their lives better. I think that's definitely happening, too. Yeah, we talked about children before. I've noticed at restaurants, and uh, you'll see a family there, and two or three kids will all be on their phones playing a video game or uh, conversing oh, yeah. through uh, <laughs> and not paying any attention to the family. So why is a family gathering even worthwhile if, if you're all in your exactly. own world? Exactly. Yeah, world. That, that worries me that someday people, you know, we're going to have a world where it's people live <laughs> inside their virtual devices, yeah. you know. That's, <laughs> that's, that doesn't set well with me at all. Well, in your book, you make the point that knowledge is power, but only if we preserve the ability to still our minds, follow our thoughts, and search beyond our limitations. In your promotion, you describe some simple strategies to develop a quiet mind, and they're really fascinating to me. I'll talk about each of these in turn, but uh, can you uh, please begin by describing the three strategies you recommend Okay, well, one thing, I would spend time seeing, especially when you're worried about something, stress, you need some security. Following your thoughts, where they take you, will they bring you that security? Because what I've found is over time is is you rely on on your thinking mind to to bring you security or freedom from fear. You just go running around in the same circles inside your mind, and you you don't get somewhere. And and so what I found is, is when you really realize that, your mind starts to quiet down. And as it does, you can see things directly. Direct insight is what allows you to really be aware of things, much more than the process 
a thought, oh. having that, that clear insight and that aha moment into something rather than think your way through it. So I would say that's one is just follow your thoughts, see what their limitations are. Another yeah. thing, I would just follow your stream of thoughts to where they lead to a point of completion, where they, where they go. You know, don't, uh, don't stop and go to the Internet when you're trying to, to think something through and, yeah. and uh, interrupt that. Just follow your, follow your whole stream of thoughts. And also I think this thing about reading, people reading is being, is being shortened and disrupted now because people will go on the Internet and they'll read like two paragraphs or whatever in, a, in, you know, in an article. And then that's it. They won't go and follow the whole thing. So I would, I would encourage people try try to make your way through an entire article, read it. And also, they've done studies that found, although this is still still up in the air to be decided, they found that that people who have a book in their hand, they have physical contact. <laughs> I with thought the book, that was fascinating. <laughs> with the book, remember and are absorbed in what they're reading and what they're learning better than somebody this, that has an e-reader. So you, you offer your both uh, book both in digital and print form, but you would recommend people go to the print form then. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. I've got I used I had a, an e-reader of you know a few years ago, and I just put it away because I I like <laughs> having the physical contact with the book. Yeah. It really helps me to become absorbed in in what I'm reading, and also I can see the context of where I'm at. If you're yeah. on an e-reader and you're on this page, you don't have any sense of the size of the book relative to what you're reading right in the moment. Yeah, or if you have a real book, you can you know you can see that it really puts the put whatever puts whatever you're reading into context. But they're still doing studies on this. But more and more you know people are finding out that neuroscientists, whatever, that if you have an, if you have a book in your hand that embodied um, that embodied contact with the book helps you to become more absorbed in it. And well, so I always lot. read books that by hand, now. and I agree with that totally. I'm not into this e-book reading. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, I love the feel of a book in your hands, yeah. too. You know, it's just... It's a I liked book. another suggestion you had to deliberately disengage, and how best do we accomplish this? Well, I think you just, you know, just... You know, don't go to the phone. Don't go to the computer. Resist your resist your addiction to pick up the phone. Those people who are and and you know read books and and uh, converse with people and you know follow the stream of your thoughts and just you know there's no magic panacea. It's just stay away from the internet if you can. I mean, you're I think all it's a great suggestion internet. where you say following when you do a bunch of research on the internet, then you deliberately turn the internet off and sit back and think about what you've uh, what you've absorbed and uh, how it all fits together on your own mind rather than relying on somebody else to tell you how to do it digitally. <laughs> That's a great idea. Absolutely. Turn the, you know, get the information, get away from the computer and think about what you have just, you know, what you've just learned and just absorbed. Absolutely. That's a great way to, you know, avoid digital addiction and kind of regain your own thoughts. Well, if you would, can you please review for us the advantages of a quiet mind beyond simply being able to focus? I know there's uh, you have some really deep information on that. And on yeah, that's an interesting to. subject. I I found I can just sort of you know go from personal experience. I found after years of you know knocking my head against the wall, running around inside my mind trying to get some kind of security or higher knowledge or freedom from fear or whatever through my thoughts. I've found that they, those thoughts don't take you there. 
Yeah. You know, they they don't thought thought is really limited. It really can't do that. And so I, you know, I've kind of stopped doing that. And when you stop running around in your mind inside those same circles, those same corners that people do, and your mind gets quieter naturally from not doing that anymore, then I think there's a possibility of a larger awareness entering. Now, to describe that would be be a fool's errand because it's something that by definition lies beyond thought. But I think there is a larger awareness there that we can get in touch with if our minds are completely quiet. And I, I think the best way to do that is to simply realize what the limitations of thought are. And then when you do that, your mind will naturally quiet down yeah. and you can maybe be aware of something larger entering its spaces. Yeah. Well, let's Just talk a bit about your, uh, your brand new book, Intelligence in the Digital Age, the subtitle, How to Search for Something Larger May Be Imperiled. Who is the target audience? Is your book written primarily for a psychologist, medical professionals, physiologists, or can uh, laypersons like myself and our audience also benefit? Oh, it's for any of us, any of us. I was probably thinking to a large extent those people who might be interested in, in searching for a larger awareness you know, metaphysically, yes. but it also it's for everybody who has a has an interest in what the internet might be doing us and why it's doing it to us. So it's absolutely the book is for everybody. Oh. And I noticed some of the reviews I've been getting, which have been favorable reviews, have been coming from young people. Oh, that's and so that, that's been encouraging. Yeah, they're the most addicted to the internet, supposedly. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So that's been really encouraging to me. A number of the positive reviews have come, I can tell from the sites that they're they're coming from young people. Well, if there was one most critical message you would like readers to take away from your book, what would it be? Explore your own memories and thoughts and see where they might lead. And don't depend on the Internet to provide you information, facts, knowledge. Use it as a tool, but for something larger, depend on your own thoughts and memories. Well, that's uh, such wise advice. If only all of us would take that. Well, where's the best place for listeners to go to preview and purchase your book, Intelligence? They can go to, it's on Amazon. The publisher is Roman and Littlefield. They can get it at any sort of book service. Um, they can go to my website, lynnlesh.com. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Uh, it's just real simple, L-Y-N-L-E-S-C-H.com. And That's you have it. other resources on there like a blog and uh, uh, several other sources of early information that uh, were very worthwhile. Yeah, I've, I've been, I've been, st- I started the blog about this same subject, and I need to get back to that now. Is this the same <laughs> subject of the digital age and how it may be, yeah. what it might be doing to the search for a larger awareness? So I'm going to get back to that, writing more blogs. Well, that's great. Well, in conclusion, now that so many of us are staying at home in the midst of the <laughs> right. coronavirus pandemic. So much of our contact and communication with the outside world is through the Internet, including good old Google, uh, social media like Facebook and Twitter, and virtual communication via Skype and Zoom. Right. <laughs> the point so effectively made by my guest, Lynn Lesh, is that the Internet and digital technologies, as so many of us have already experienced, can have a certain adverse effects on our capacities for sustained concentration and deep reflection 
And the questions we all need to ask ourselves now, am I letting the Internet and my devices hinder my ability for sustained concentration and problem solving? And is there still time for me to quiet my mind, analyze my thought process, and before it's too late to take back control? And going forward, how can I offset the uh, deleterious effects of the constant flow of fragmented information? And uh, in answer to all those questions, I highly recommend Lynn Lesh's new book, Intelligence in a Digital Age. And uh, thanks a million for joining us, Lynn. Best of Thank success. you, Roy. <laughs> Stay safe. <laughs> okay, you too, absolutely. Well, I think you'll agree that we've spent enough time today speaking about coronavirus and its impact on our daily life and its threats and all that good stuff. So, as they used to say on Monty Python's Frying Circus, now for something completely different. Hard to believe, but the annual global market for skincare products is $148.3 billion. As this huge number illustrates, the number of skin care products and procedures available is staggering, makes it very hard to determine how to spend your money wisely, which skin care products and which procedures are worth the money and which aren't. And for straight talk on your skin care options, I've invited a true expert, beauty advocate Christy Hall, and since this is a program about middle age, we're going to concentrate our discussion on anti-aging, how to determine the best products and treatments for a younger-looking skin at any age. And here's Christy Hall's bio. She's a board-certified PAMBAS and a leading expert in skin care and aesthetic medicine. She trains doctors and medical professionals nationally and internationally on treatments and procedures in non-surgical facial rejuvenation. And she's founder and CEO of Skin Appeal, a prestigious medical aesthetics spa, and the uh, cosmeceutical brand Michael Christie Skincare. And she's author of a brand new book, Your Beauty Advocate: A No Nonsense Guide to Age-Defying Skincare. And her stated mission is to help educated folks like you and me about the power that all of us have to work with aging on a deep and impactful level so we can look and feel our best at any age. And hello, Christy Hall. Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Thank you, Roy. It's great to be on. Well, to demonstrate my ignorance on the subject, can you please explain what the letters PA, I think that's physician's assistant, <laughs> and MPAS stand for? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So uh, PA means uh, physician assistant certified, and so board certified with that. And uh, MPAS means I have a master's degree in physician oh. assistant studies. <laughs> I know it's a bunch of letters. More simple. I know. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Uh, and can you another clarification? What's the definition of the term aesthetic medicine? So aesthetic medicine, or some people know it as cosmetic dermatology, um, is just kind of a, a different branch of medicine where we use, um, you know, medicine like uh, fillers and Botox and laser treatments and things like that to re rejuvenate the skin. So aesthetics is just a way of putting it, or cosmetic dermatology is another way. 
Yeah, well, you wisely advise that the best way to reduce beauty industry overwhelm is through consumer education. Let's begin with the skin. Can you please describe the three layers of our skin and how skin changes as we grow older? Absolutely. I think this is kind of the basis of understanding like how to take care of your skin. Um, big beauty industry has really kind of done a lot to confuse people about like all you need is a perfect moisturizer and then you go on this massive search for the perfect moisturizer and then we're always disappointed, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, I like to, I like to re-educate and like so you understand what is the skincare product supposed to do for your skin. Yeah. So we have three layers. We have the top layer, which is the epidermis. Um, the epidermis Epidermis is what you see on the surface, and when we get older, the epidermis starts to look kind of dull. You start to have more dry skin. It doesn't have that bright, radiant glow to it anymore. Pores get larger um, on the surface, and that happens because the outer layer of skin is supposed to be exfoliating naturally very rapidly. So like in a child, it'll turn over brand new cells like every 7 to 14 days, Mm. but the older we get, so like say you're in your 50s or 60s, that might happen every 90 to 100 days. So therefore you have just like our bodies. <laughs> it does, you know, it does. And so if you think about that, you know, if you have like a hundred layers of dead skin cells sitting on the surface, there's no way that your natural oils can actually come and moisturize that surface. So if we start to make that cell turnover faster with the right ingredients in your skincare products, then your skin will actually start to renew itself. It'll start to produce its own moisture again. And so that's kind of the thought, not to add moisture and try and hydrate dead things, um, but actually to make it alive again. <laughs> um, and then the, the layer that most people get excited about is the dermis, which is kind of the deeper layer of skin. Yeah. That's where our collagen and our elastin live. And the mm-hmm. collagen and the elastin is what is responsible for wrinkles. Um, and so most of us are concerned about that. <laughs> and so when that dermis um, starts to break down, which happens after age 30, um, you don't have that natural collagen production happening, the skin starts to thin down, and so we see um, you know, wrinkles forming. We see larger pores. We see more sagging in the skin. Um, well, so we want to. Your thin skin has some reality to it. <laughs> yeah, really and you know, and you it... don't like to be criticized or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so a lot of times, like if you're, you know, if you can look at like your grandparents or something like that, um, and you look at like your grandmother's arm skin, it gets so thin and fragile that yeah. sometimes it even tears. You know, that's just massive collagen loss. Um, And so we really want to prevent that as much as we can. So we have to do things to make that collagen layer grow. Um, And then the uh, the other layer is underneath the skin. That's our fatty layer. That's kind of the support structure of the skin. So the bone and the fat and the muscle underneath the skin give the skin its support. And that actually shrinks as you get older. Your skull is shrinking. (laughs) And then we sag. And that's fun. Shrinking all over, I guess. I know, right? (laughs) In your book and on your website, you describe a variety of topical skin care and skin rejuvenation products and procedures available. We don't have time to discuss them in detail, but can you provide a broad overview of uh, some of the most common non-surgical options available for age-defying skin care? 
Absolutely. So number one should be a good daily skincare regimen that uh, hits those keys that I just talked about. So we want to increase the natural exfoliation process. So good ingredients to look for in that is um, vitamin A, like in the form of retinoic acid. So that might be like a prescription retin-A or in our skincare line, Michael Christie, we use retinaldehyde. It tends to be a lot more gentle on the skin. Alpha hydroxy acids like glycolic acid, lactic acid. So that is going to make your skin produce its own moisture. It's going to brighten it up, give us that nice radiant glow again. And, of course, we don't want wrinkles, so we want collagen stimulation. (laughs) Um, So the best ingredients for collagen stimulation are, um, again, vitamin A retinaldehyde, uh, peptides, growth factors, vitamin C, all topically on the skin. Um, So we treat the skin on the surface to make it, you know, look its best. And then sometimes we need to go a little bit deeper. Like if you're older and you have deeper wrinkles that have already happened because of old sun damage or you have deep discolorations from sun, like red and brown discolorations, then we might need to move to like a laser type treatment. Um, So a photofacial, like a BBL photofacial is a nice treatment to have. We know based on a study that Stanford University did that if you do those at least once or twice a year, it actually prevents your skin from aging. It keeps the genes of youth turned on. So, I mean, there's simple things like that you can do as well. And then if you're really kind of sagging a lot, then we move into the injectable fillers and Botox to kind of lift and plump things back up because you can't treat the under-the-skin problems by working on the skin. Yeah, I see. Okay, well, in Chapter 9 of your book, Your Beauty Advocate, is titled The Derm-Aligned Detox, Ground Zero for Anti-Aging. This title yes. definitely catches the reader's attention. Can you please define the term derm-aligned detox and how do we uh, accomplish that <laughs> or obtain it? Yes. So in my book, uh, Your Beauty Advocate, I really wanted to kind of hit, you know, what is what encompasses beauty or, or staying young and youthful um, all, all around. And that can be working on the inside always needs to be the, one of the most important things, you know, because we are what we eat, unfortunately. And <laughs> um, so we want to, you know, so we did this kind of detox to help you reset, you know, kind of take the um, – bad things out of your diet and put, you know, more healthy, good things in. So drinking, making sure you're drinking enough water, um, you know, mostly a plant-based diet. Um, So we have this whole kind of detox regimen if you wanted to kind of do a four-day reset to get your body back into its healthiest state and then, you know, kind of carry forward from that. That can really help rejuvenate the skin in itself. And even if you do that, you would really see a nice radiant glow in the skin even without even doing skincare. But, of course, we like to do both so that we look the best. But that, that's uh, the kind of very useful information you have in your book that uh, people can gain insight on. You also offer the Michael Christie Natural Skin Care line of products. How are your products unique, and how can a listener order them? Great question. Um, yeah, so in your beauty advocate, I wanted to help people navigate this confusing world of aesthetics. So how do you know, like, what skincare products to use? How do you know when you're ready for something a little bit more aggressive um, with that? And then with Michael Christie, um, we are a cosmeceutical-grade brand of skincare products. And what that means is we want our ingredients to actually penetrate into the skin surface and make the skin function better. And that's the purpose of cosmeceuticals versus over-the-counter products that may just kind of sit on the surface and not really create the change on the skin skin that you want to see. (laughs) Right, exactly. We want your skin to produce and function better. If you think of a child's skin, their skin's perfect, right? And why is that? It's because it's working really well. And so with our skincare products, we want to make that skin work like it did when you were younger. 
I know you uh, mentioned in your advertisement you can watch your skin transform in 90 days. Now, what's yeah. this core kit? Is that the, what most people purchase when they? Uh, yeah. Go to so your... the our Michael Christie products, which you can go to skincaremk.com and order, and we have all the information on there. I also do a lot of blog um, posts and education on that as well. But the core collection kind of hits all those basic needs that I was talking about. So, you know, we give you your cleansers. We give you your, um, your all of your anti-aging serums that are going to be loaded with the vitamin C, the peptides, the vitamin A's that are going to stimulate the collagen production and increase that um, natural exfoliation process. But they're also protective for the skin. You know, we want to protect from the environmental damage that you get with UV damage and uh, pollution and all of those kind of things so that we're not getting free radical damage in the skin as well. And so the core collection is just an easy way to do that. And and literally probably within oh, seven days you would see a massive transformation on your skin, but we always say 90 days for full effect. Well, let's talk briefly about your brand-new book, Your Beauty Advocate, a no-nonsense guide to age-defying skin care. Uh, what was your mission in writing your book? My mission in writing that is um, I have a medical aesthetics practice like we talked about, and every day I have people come in for consultations, and it's just it amazes me how much misconception there is out there. Yeah. So like I do in my consults, that's the way I wrote the right wrote the book, is that I want people to understand why am I telling you that you need this. I'm not just trying to, you know, sell you something. I want you to actually understand why it works for you and why you need it, you know, so that people don't waste time. They don't waste money. I mean, so many people buy a thousand different skincare products looking for that magic one, whereas really they just need to understand what they need on their skin so that they're not well, wasting know, a lot of time or money. I know your book doesn't uh, spell out and prescribe a specific uh, rejuvenation program for every reader, does it? It, it isn't it intended to help a reader develop his or her own personal skincare plan. Yes, you can do it that way, you know, by understanding the ingredients, and that's what I like to educate on. But, of course, Michael Christie offers everything really simply <laughs> as well. <laughs> so SkincareMK.com, and we'll transform your skin. We even have a concierge service on there. Like if you want to talk to me um, or one of my um, educators, we can certainly um, help with that. Well, by the title of your book, I presume it's primarily intended for female readers. Uh, we men don't want to look beautiful, but can we also <laughs> benefit from reading your book? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And, um, yes, I actually, you know, we uh, at this point in time, women are probably the primary target. But, you know, yeah. I have a lot of male patients, and they love this stuff just as much. And, um, and most of them really love the education behind it as well. So um, I think this book can benefit anyone, um, yeah. you know, and I think men enjoy looking, you know, more handsome or, you know, younger themselves as well. Um, you know, unfortunately, we, um, you know, we judge based on that, but um, I, I don't enjoy looking not necessary at, the at all. my face in the mirror. I know, right? I no one enjoys that. No one wants to look in the mirror and see their mom or their dad looking back at them. <laughs> Or their grandpa. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> or grandma. You want to, because you probably feel like you're 20, 30 years younger than you really are, and you want to look yeah. in the mirror and see that person. And that's, you know, and that's probably the number one driving factor for most people coming in here um, is like, you know, they just want to look, see in the mirror and see that person that they feel on the inside. Well, where's the best place for readers to go to preview and purchase your book? Um, so you can go to Amazon um, and type in Your Beauty Advocate, or we have a website, yourbeautyadvocate.com, which will lead you right there. Oh, I see. 
And yeah. uh, is that the website they should go, or do you have a, you mentioned a separate website for your uh, skincare Michael Christie products? Yeah, so you can go to skincaremk.com or yourreadyadvocate.com will lead you there as well. Um, and uh, we also have some bonus things on the website. You know, if you download the book, you can get some more educational uh, materials uh, and really, you know, learn a lot about this. And for me, it's all about, you know, helping people guide them to get the result that they want, like get the outcome that you're looking for, but but understand why you need to do these certain things to get there. Yeah, well, no. Uh, to conclude, no one, even us guys, enjoys looking in the mirror and seeing an exhaustive, old-looking stranger. <laughs> Where did all those wrinkles and huge bags under your eyes come from? And right. no, you don't expect to look the way you did when you were 25, but you want to look the best you can at your present age, and you certainly don't want to appear older than you are. And the problem in a seemingly endless world of miracle creams and ever-trendy aesthetic procedures, how can you find one that really works and one that doesn't? And my guest, Christy Hall, reminds it all begins with education and uh, why does your skin change with age, and what works best to help your skin defy those changes. And Christy's book definitely goes into those details. And to answer those questions and to jumpstart your own personal age-defying project for youthful skin, I highly recommend uh, Christy Hall's book, Your Beauty Advocate. And thanks, Christy, for joining us here today, and thanks to all you listeners for tuning in. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And now as we go, please don't let coronavirus get you down and never forget middle age can be your best age, coronavirus or not. And join us again next week on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Bye for now. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 